Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Otis time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Friday, May 12th, 2023. Utter madness uh, in the universe everywhere I look. My distinguished guest uh, chose three co- topics for conversation today, uh, each one arguably loonier than the other. Uh, a compelling case could be made for all three be the looniest things uh, that I've confronted in a long, long time. And yet, as a testament to where we are uh, in the universe, uh, I'm not quite sure which one is crazier. Uh, I will start with uh, the uh, city hall, (laughs) city hall, the town hall, guys, Chicago on my mind, uh, meeting that uh, CNN convened. I'll just give you a sense of what's in the news today. This is the headline. Uh, CNN, uh, of course, the the town hall with Donald Trump on Wednesday night, total farce, total joke, uh, total corruption of everything that CNN is supposed to stand for or any news outlet is supposed to stand for. Uh, but in the aftermath of of the um, the the show where Donald Trump was again uh, given an hour of prime time. Uh, live, so they couldn't edit it in any way. They couldn't challenge him uh, in any significant way. And then he got to choose the audience. <laughs> he got to choose the audience. Uh, so they were all like cheering him on, as he said. He just the intel, the typical Donald Trump insanity uh, that poured forth from his mouth. Uh, and um, so, in the aftermath, uh, CNN asserts Trump event was service to the public. I. Am not making this up. Uh, that's the headline on the New York Times a story that ran uh, today, Friday, May 12th, uh, quoting uh, who's that? What's this gentleman's name? Chris Licht, I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, he's the chairman of CNN. He's the guy who makes the big bucks to make decisions like giving Donald Trump an hour of primetime airtime. Uh, and uh, here is his the lead quote. 
Uh, and this is the worldview as expressed by the man in charge of CNN, proving that anybody can be in charge of a corporation in America these days. Quote, we all know covering Donald Trump is messy and tricky, and it will continue to be messy and tricky, but it's our job. End of quote. All right. First of all, you did not cover Donald Trump. You collaborated with Donald Trump. I would, in one sense, you were like an agent for Donald Trump. I repeat one more time, Chris Licht. You gave him access to your studio. Uh, you gave him an hour of prime time. You allowed him to pick the audience. Uh, you knew going in that you could not stop him. You know his record. You saw the debate in 2020. In a national debate where he just kept rambling on. Back then, I think the justification, the the uh, defense was he had COVID. So that was why he was insane. Uh, but no, he just turned it over to him. Uh, and he did, what, he did what he does. Lies uh, and lies and lies. And so now you're paying a price for it. I don't feel sorry for you. Uh, it's pathetic. Your attempt to cover this up by saying... You were covering Donald Trump. No, you were collaborating with him. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and then we're going to take it away. Introduce yourself, distinguished guest. Well, thanks, Ben. It's great to be back on the show. Um, I assume that you're, I've been able to handpick the audience today, um, <laughs> so I don't get any hostile questions. Um, I'm David Ferris, an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University and the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty. Democrats can build a lasting majority in American politics and a columnist at Newsweek. Um, and um, yeah, what a, what a week, what a week for American politics. Uh, I don't know if it was grifter week or what, but uh, it was, uh, it was really, it was really something. <laughs> grifter week in American politics. Uh, since I opened with a CNN, we'll start with CNN, but uh, uh, we're also going to move to debt ceiling uh, and George Santos <laughs> uh, will be the third topic. Uh, and when we get to debt ceiling, ceiling ladies and gentlemen, uh, you will see the David Ferris mind at work uh, because he just wrote a column in Newsweek articulating many of the views that I'm going to ask him uh, to uh, uh, elaborate on, which is always about how Democrats can fight back and stop being the patsies that they are for the Donald Trumps of the world. But before we get to that, I, I, I think uh, listeners really want to hear your riff. Uh, on uh, CNN, what what they did, why they did it, uh, and uh, the impact that it'll have. So take it away, David Ferris. CNN. Oh man, um, I think I think I've talked before on, on the show about a, a sketch comedy program called "I Think You Should Leave," and a in a in a sketch where a, a man dressed in a hot dog suit and drives a hot dog car into a clothing store and then gets out and pretends that he didn't do it and is standing around with everybody saying like, we're all just trying to figure out who did this, you know? And it's, it's his, you know, he's, it's the hot dog car has crashed into the clothing store. Right. And so Chris Licht is like, well, I mean, Trump is a part of our politics and I mean, we gotta, we gotta cover him. And it's like, you're the one giving the dude oxygen, you know, you're the one, I mean, he wasn't in charge of CNN in, in 2016, but I mean, CNN gave him thousands and thousands of hours of free media to peddle his lies and conspiracy theories and, and hatred and, and racism. And it seems like the plan is just to, just to like do it all again. Like we have learned absolutely nothing about, about how to cover him, how to treat him in public, like what kinds of platforms to give him and not give him. And so it would be one thing 
if Trump was like a normal politician who was going to do debates, uh, either primary debates or general election debates, uh, and like all the other candidates were like, oh, yeah, let's, let's, we can all do a town hall with one of the networks too. Right. It's like, okay, so that's part of the plan. We're going to have a series of debates and then uh, Trump gets a town hall and DeSantis gets a town hall and <laughs> Nikki Haley gets a town hall. Good luck. Um, and uh, <laughs> Asa Hutchinson gets a town hall. Uh, Joe Biden gets a town hall. God help us. And um, But that's not what's happening here, right? You have a guy who uh, two years ago tried to, let's remember, overthrow the American system of constitutional government. Um, to perpetrate an illegal coup to stay in power uh, and to interrupt the, the peaceful tr- transfer of power for the first time in American history, who is refusing to debate his primary opponents or his general election opponents, uh, who was just days ago found liable in a court of law for sexual abuse and defamation, and who is being pursued in at least three different ways for other indictments. Um, and, and CNN has decided to just like, you know, that's the guy that we need to hear from tonight. That's that's the guy that we need to give a national audience um, and stock the audience with Republicans and Republican-leaning independents so that he doesn't get any tough questions from the audience. Um, and so the whole thing was just like a just a gross and disgusting spectacle. Um, I thought the the Caitlin Collins who was moderating the thing, uh, I she like if you stipulate that this should never have happened in the first place, I, I actually thought that she did great work challenging him over and over again. But as a, like all that this did was emphasize the complete pointlessness of trying to challenge this man on factual matters because he doesn't care about facts. The whole point of his like barrage, his fusillade of lies, um, and not just lies about like, uh, you know, details. It's like lies about things that are demonstrably untrue that we all know to be untrue, um, that are so easily disprovable, uh, that he couldn't possibly think that he could put this past us. But the point of all that is to get you uh, on, a, on a footing where contesting the truth and arguing about the truth and arguing about facts and the way the world actually is, is irrelevant. Like when you, when you do rhetorical combat with, with Donald Trump, you are doing so on like a different plane of existence. Right? One where uh, he sets the terms of debate um, he makes things up and you just sputter and challenge. And you're like, but that's not true. But actually, that's not true. You keep, say- you keep saying that the election was rigged, but it's not true. And he just keeps going. It doesn't matter. He's just going to keep going. He doesn't care. Um, and so the night was just full of like preposterous lies, big and small, um, and uh, really gross rhetoric. But I, I was struck when I was watching it. <clears throat> I did watch it then. I spent some, I spent, hours of my finite and irretrievable existence (laughs) watching Donald Trump (laughs) lie to America. It's just like the, the sheer absurdity of some of the things that he says. Um, I'm thinking of when he keeps, (laughs) he keeps saying, folks, we were energy independent under me, under me, we had energy independence and then we just threw it all away. And uh, now we don't have any energy. There's no energy in the ground. Like, okay, so we were energy independent. I don't think he knows what that means. Uh, We were energy independent in like January 2021. And then the next day, Joe Biden took office and it was like, we need the oil. You remember during the 2016 campaign when he kept saying like, the problem with Iraq, we should have taken the oil. You know, we should have taken the oil with us. Um, And I was like, 
what in a, like in a series of New Yorker bags that you fill up in New York and like and then like fly them back home. You, you can't take an oil field home with you, complete lunatic, right? Like the things that he says. He was like, um, teachers. We should arm the teachers. You know, a lot of teachers are uh, ex soldiers and ex cops. Really good with weapons. These teachers. <laughs> so, okay, um, and uh, yeah, just so just stuff like that. That it's like. <laughs> It's so preposterous that it is, it is almost funny if you, if you don't remember that this guy has like a, you know, 50, 50 chance of becoming the next president because, um, because we haven't learned anything apparently, uh, neither the networks nor the journalists nor the pundits, nor it seems has at least 45% of the public learned anything about the consequences of electing this guy. Um, and so that, that town hall should have been, um, a stark reminder of, of the danger that we are in because this guy's going to win the nomination. He's going to win it. Um, it's, you know, what, what do we call him now? Meatball Ron? Meatball Ron doesn't stand a chance, not least of which because CNN is going to give Donald Trump like a bazillion hours of free media again to, to wield his, uh, his power like a cudgel against his potential enemies. Um, and, uh, just, just the moments, the big and small moments. The one, one of my favorites was when Collins kicked it over to the audience, and the, and the, I think it was the kid uh, was starts talking about the mass shootings, and I was like, oh, here we go, this should be interesting. He was like, with all these mass shootings around, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to pass new laws <laughs> restricting guns. And Trump goes on to say, like, basically, the bump stock ban that he signed was nonsense um and that he would protect the second amendment that was his that was his big answer um and so uh i don't know what to tell you when somebody asked him like i'm concerned i'm a, as as a woman i'm concerned about the post roe v wade environment you know what do you what do you say to the women and uh republican women about that and he was like i got it overturned baby <laughs> and caitlin collins spent like 15 minutes trying to peg him down on how many weeks he would ban a at. And he was like, I already answered the question. She's like, you didn't. It's like, I did, but you didn't. I did. It was like Monty Python's argument clinic. Um, you know, it's like, is this the right room for an argument? Told you once. <laughs> so um, it's just like, uh, you know, you can't argue with him, right? Like there's no point. There's no point. You, you can stand there like with evidence, um, clear evidence and he doesn't care he'll, he'll walk right past it he'll whistle right past it so it, it just the whole thing was just stupid and corrupt and obvious rating chasing ploy that i'm sure worked because people watched it i watched it um i didn't watch it on cnn okay but i did watch the thing and um just a just a depressing reminder that there's just there's there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do in as a as a president as a as a politician as a citizen to be so beneath contempt that a major cable company will not give you you know an hour and a half to to spell out your lies all over the country well you're, part of what it is uh is the entertainment factor of donald trump uh i mean when you were going on those riffs i was laughing because what he says is so absurd that it is funny if you just divorce yourself or separate yourself from the reality that this lunatic, if he gets back in the White House, would have another opportunity to destroy our democracy. 
So, that, which is a very serious and frightening thought. So, if you just divorce yourself and and live in the moment, you're watching something that's like absurd, even by wrestling standards. It's just, it's so ridiculous. It's funny. So people turn into that. Although the numbers, just so you know, like the like the the analyst for the New York Times who really tracked these things pointed out that his numbers on CNN were lower than his numbers on Fox, which just is more insanity in the world because that will govern ultimately the decision as to whether CNN brings him back. Is this a viable business model for them to use, to employ, to bring in advertisers and uh, raise money to pay Anderson Cooper's enormous salary? We'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, And um, so, it was just, I, I need to note that it was down a little bit. And there were some Americans, and I would call them true patriots, who chose to watch uh, the Lakers versus the Warriors basketball game uh, instead. They're the true patriots. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying because I was one of those Americans. Um, so here, going back to Chris Licht and the nonsense coming out of his mouth, uh, which it may be more obnoxious than the stuff that comes out of Trump's mouth because he's... a, a attempting to seem like he really believes it, whereas Trump is just like, yeah, I'll say any old bullshit to motivate these idiots who vote for me. Uh, Lick said, I absolutely believe America was served very well by what we did last night. People woke up and they know what the stakes are in this election in a way they didn't the day before. And if someone was going to ask tough questions and have that messy conversation, it damn well should be on CNN. I love it when a CEO goes, damn. (laughs) <laughs> that just underscores how much he believes the nonsense that is pouring from his mouth. Uh, I guess that's the best argument you can make for allowing Donald Trump uh, the access they gave him, that now America realizes what they're up against. I uh, kind of thought America already knew that going into this. Uh, but your thoughts about um, Chris Lick's defense there? I agree with Chris Lick in the sense that we were served. Um, we were served in the sense of being served by like a law enforcement person, we were, like given divorce papers, you know, I mean? like you have been served, sir, like America, you have been served. Thank you. And then you take the piece of paper and you realize you're being sued and your life is over. Um, so that's the sense in which we were served the other night. Um, and the idea <laughs> that like CNN is doing a public service with its particular brand of covering Donald Trump, it's just, it's so self-serving that it doesn't pass the sniff test. But like Chris Licht came into the, uh, to the leadership of CNN saying basically like, I, we need to get rid of all these lefties so that, the, so that the only people who watch cable news in America will watch us. And the only people who watch cable news in America is like people over the age of 50. Uh, it's a very conservative leading audience. People under the age of 50 wouldn't be caught dead watching cable news. Okay. They don't know who any of these people are and they don't care. Um, they're like, if you go into a college classroom and you're like, how about that Tucker Carlson controversy? And they're like, who is that? You know, like, oh, is that who my grandpa watches? Some of my students said we were talking about succession one day, you know, the, the HBO show succession. And my students said, oh yeah, is that, that, is that the show that like, my parents watch? So a little reality check there. Like it doesn't, you can chase the audience all over the country. The audience is dying. Um, and cable news and cable networks as we know them will not, I don't think will it not exist in 25 or 30 years in, in the form that they exist today. And so Licht is just, you know, he's chasing a fountain of youth that's, that's going to turn out to be barren anyway. It doesn't matter. But like the idea that, that CNN is performing a public service is preposterous. Then like 
there's another end of the spectrum where like there's a I think there's a belief on the left that if we just like close our eyes and and say like Trump doesn't exist, Trump doesn't exist, you know, um, and if no one covered him, that he would go away. Uh, and so I don't believe that either. Right. Like if you're CNN, the the person who's running for the nomination for the Republican Party, who has a pretty good chance of becoming the next president, he, you have to cover what the person does. Right? If, if, if you're relaying the political news to the audience, it's like, OK, Trump is investing this much money in his campaign. This is what he's saying he's going to do. These are his policies. Show some clips of the guy. You are not obligated to provide him this kind of a platform. That's not a public service. That's a public disservice. Um, and it's a public disservice because you allowed him to lie on camera with just poor sputtering Caitlin Collins contesting the facts of the matter. And the, and the Republican audience, <laughs> there were several moments where Trump would say something so, so crazy. You know, like most teachers are ex-cops. Um, and, or my favorite of the night was when he was like, everybody knows I, I would end the Ukraine war in one day. And the council like, well, how would you do that? And it's, he just, he just blunders on, you know, like I, I would just, it just, it would just it'd be easy, you know, just, uh, just fix it in one day. Never would happen. Even Democrats say that would never happen if I was the president. Um, and Caitlin Collins said, what Democrats would those be? Um, and then they just cut to another question. Like it's all normal, you know? Trump is like, I'm God. I would end this war that's been going on for 18 months by snapping my, my stubby little fingers. The end. And then Caitlin Collins says, and we have another question. Here's Steve from St. Anselm. What do you think, Steve? Um, and Steve's like, what about the taxes? And it all just lingers in the air, like, like this absurd miasma, like that what he said is normal, right? Like, oh, it's totally normal that the president would say he could end a war in one day. Um, uh, like, <laughs> A war to which we are not a party. Okay, like if you were, if it was an American war, of course you could end the war in one day. You just say we're not going to fight the war anymore. Um, so that's that's part of the normalization too, right? Like you, you're giving him all of this runway to say these ridiculous, preposterous things, um, and then you just turn to the next audience member to ask the next question, and he gets to do it all over again. And it doesn't matter if there's a decent journalist up there being like, "But sir, that's not true." It doesn't matter. Like the, the, the thing that people will remember about that town hall is not Caitlin Collins being like, actually, the election wasn't rigged. It's Donald Trump saying the election was rigged a hundred times. And the friendly people in the audience being like, yeah, sure was. You know, it's, yeah, right on, man. Election was rigged. Pardon those January 6ers. Yeah, pardon them. They're heroes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, you continually push. Uh, the discourse to the right and it, it normalizes it. And, and you get to a point where people will say, well, that's ancient history. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, um, or it's all partisanship. So when they prosecute Donald Trump, it's all partisanship. You push that, you allow him just to continually push that. Uh, so I, I think the impact um, I take seriously, Donald Trump, uh, and uh, the 45% of this country that's ready to walk off a cliff uh, for him. I urge everybody to listen to David's last appearance on the show where he ran through the Electoral College and the map uh, and show how fragile the democracy is. 
uh, because the way it's set up, there's a handful of states that will determine whether Donald Trump is the next president. Uh, and so Donald Trump is convinced that he could win back Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada, uh, and Michigan, uh, or some combination of, the, of those states with this kind of public behavior. Uh, and uh, he, CNN gave him a running start. Uh, so thanks for nothing, Chris Licht. And Anderson Cooper, uh, who <laughs> I, I already, we already um, sort of trashed him on the show earlier uh, in the day, uh, David. So I don't know if I should go into it, but uh, he issued a statement uh, in which he said, I don't know if you've seen this brilliant statement here. I'm going to call it up. Uh, here we go. Uh, you have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? Uh, that's Anderson Cooper's defense of what CNN did. Just love to get your thoughts before we move on to debt ceiling. Go ahead. Sure. I really agree with the first half of his statement. <laughs> you have the right to never watch CNN ever again. The other right that you have is to, is to dial one eight 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 comcast and cancel it. Like you do not need to subscribe to cable anymore. You do not need to contribute to the, you do not need to contribute the carriage fees that make this circus possible. And the more people cut that cord, um, the more people that go a la carte and pick, uh, you know, pick your own setup of, of, of things that you want to have access to, the better off we will all be. Like if we cut the cable companies off at the knees, there will be no funding for Fox News. There will be no funding for CNN in the way that there is. They will not have this kind of power over us. The power that we submit to these networks is voluntary. You know, the power that we give them to host our debates, um, the power that we give them to control the narrative. Um, that's, a, that's a choice that we make over and over and over again when we, when we pay our cable bill every month. So cut the cord. Cut, I'm sorry, cut, cut Anderson Cooper out of, out of your life. He's got enough money to last 15 lifetimes. He'll be fine. Um, and it, it doesn't matter that there's decent people that work at CNN. Right? The, the problem is not that there aren't good journalists there. The problem is that the whole enterprise is pernicious. Um, that the cable news and the cable news industry and the, um, the way that they present the news to us and the way that they frame things is part of the problem in American politics. Um, it's part of the problem with our society. And uh, I, I can see no clearer reason to get out of that business altogether than, than what happened the other night. So cut the cord. Yeah. And uh, we're not even going to dignify the silo line uh, with the response. Uh, let's move on uh, to debt ceiling. Uh, the future of the American economy. You know, the world economy is hinging on whether uh, apparently a president Biden and Kevin McCarthy can reach some kind of agreement on uh, raising the debt ceiling, paying the obligations that America has uh, or a facing catastrophe uh in the economy uh and uh, david weighed in with his uh newsweek uh his newsweek column and i'm going to read you the lead this is classic uh david ferris republican leaders are once again doing that fun thing where they hold the whole country and its financial well-being hostage to their deranged obsession with shredding america's already meager social safety net this time, it's the so-called debt ceiling that GOP radicals are using to force unpopular spending cuts on, un, on an unwilling public. For months, we've watched House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his unruly majority 
come up with a set. No, for months we've waited for House Speaker McCarthy and his unruly majority to come up with a sensible plan to avoid the calamity of default, which they will never do. So what President Biden should do instead is instruct the Treasury to keep paying America's bills with or without debt limit increase. The plain language of the 14th Amendment forbids defaulting our public debt and Democrats should start acting like it. And to quote David Ferris, classic David Ferris, if they're not going to be uh, logical, if they're not going to behave like law-abiding citizens as opposed to lunatics, let's move on to plan B and not wait for them. Uh, why don't you take a deeper dive and explain uh, all the issues at stake in that opening paragraph? Sure. Um, you know, I feel like one of the themes of my appearances on these shows, Ben, is that the, the Constitution has a series of what you might think of as plot holes They're big enough to drive a truck through. Um, and one of the things Republicans have done over the last 30 or 40 years is figure out all the things that are not strictly forbidden by the Constitution that would give them political advantage and they do those things, right? Um, do you have to fill a, a Supreme Court seat when it opens up? Actually, you don't, right? Senate doesn't have to hold hearings. The Senate doesn't have to confirm the president's nominee. Republicans figure that, figured that out, and, and that's why we no longer have Roe v. Wade. Okay. Um, and you also have uh, a six-justice majority on the Supreme Court that is dedicated to the idea of originalism. Right? Like we, When we come down to constitutional questions, we should pour over the text of the Constitution that was written 100 years before the invention of the railroad um, and, uh, and figure out you know, like what, what, was, uh, what was Jefferson thinking that day? You know, what, did, uh, <laughs> what did the word full mean? To people in the nineteenth century, the eighteenth century, uh, they hire historians. The clerks hire historians to try to figure out the meaning of language from the eighteenth century. And and here you have a case where Congress has passed a law, um, the the debt limit statute, that is that just plainly and unequivocally contravenes the language of the Constitution. Okay, um, the Fourteenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Here I'll read it to you. It's really quick. Section four. This is not what people remember this amendment for. Okay, this is the amendment that gave that gave citizenship to formerly enslaved people. Um, but Section Four of the Fourteenth Amendment says, and I quote: "The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection and rebellion, shall not be questioned." Okay. Um, there's a there's a little bit more about federalism there. It's not uh, strictly speaking relevant to our our discussion here, but the plain language, you shall not question the public debt of the United States. How is what is happening right now not questioning the public debt of the United States? Okay. That amendment means that Congress may not of its own accord, uh, pass laws that say we will not pay the debt unless you like lift an arbitrary ceiling on the amount of debt that we might incur. Remember, these are debts that we have already incurred. Right, like the the things that we are going to default on are things that we've already bought. Right? It's like it's like missing a car payment. Um, and uh, I just I don't for the life of me understand. I've read that 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 the White House is aware of the Fourteenth Amendment, so that's progress. Um, but uh, for the life of me, I can't understand why they're negotiating with people about this. Right, like they, you don't have to negotiate about the U.S. Constitution. It's like it's so it's so plainly unconstitutional the whole debt ceiling fiasco the existence of the debt ceiling the argument about the debt ceiling the threat to tank the american economy in fact the 14th the, the section 4 of the 14th amendment was put there precisely to avoid 
economic damage from people um, uh, threatening to fall or, or undermining public confidence in the ability of the United States to repay its debts. That's the whole, that's the whole reasons in there. Um, like, yes, it, it stems from some issues from the Confederacy and the Civil War, things like that. But like, the point is, there's this thing that is now part of the American Constitution. Sorry, folks, the amendments are in it. <laughs> the amendments are part of the Constitution. Okay, they have the force, the same force of law as the Constitution. Um, and so Biden could just say, like, uh, according to the 14th Amendment, the debt ceiling statute is unconstitutional. I hereby instruct the Treasury to continue to pay our bills. Uh, thank you and good night. And I am probably somebody would sue. Um, I don't know. Like, like nobody really has standing to sue him about this, but like Republicans will find a way. Um, and maybe it'll come before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court will say like, no, never mind. We have to default on it. Like, <laughs> you know, Clarence Thomas will mean like, well, public had a different meeting in, in the 19th century. Uh, Jenny, Jenny told me, um, it's, you know, Harlan, Harlan said that this is not real. Okay. My friend Harlan Crow and, and, and my wife, Jenny said, uh, they read on Stormfront the other day that, uh, <laughs> the, the true originalist interpretation of this, uh, is that, uh, it means the opposite of what it says. It was written on opposite day. So like, <laughs> again, uh, it's like you, in this case, you really have, the, you really have the plain language of the constitution on your side. Um, and if the Supreme Court of the United States wants to say, well, when we said question, you know, when the Constitution says you may not question the public debt of the United States, they meant like, like in an interrogation room, you know, like we, we meant that you weren't allowed to ask it questions, not that, that you couldn't undermine it or default on our debt or some ridiculous, right? And he just has to ignore it. Like it's the, at a certain point, you just have to make a decision. Like we're not going to listen to the Supreme Court on this stuff, you know, sign an executive order that's like, keep paying the debt. Um, and this order is not subject to the review, to review by federal courts in the end. And um, I can't emphasize enough, like the flip side of Republicans discovering all the potholes you can drive through in the Constitution is that they're there for us, too, if we if we are forced to use them. Um, certainly would prefer not to have to do this. But at the end of the day, right, like the Supreme Court doesn't have an army. Um, it doesn't have a police force. The the our decision to to treat the Supreme Court's rulings as the final word on all legal and constitutional matters is a, is a choice that we have made over the course of our history. Um, and to be honest, the Supreme Court has no longer earned um, that deference. Um, and, that, and if Biden decided to ignore the Supreme Court on this issue, which he should, um, if it comes to that, uh, because the stakes of this are too high, right? Like if the U.S. defaults on its, on its debt, um, it's like... Uh, if you're driving a car and like the, the fan belt snaps and it punctures the, the motor oil compartment and that set and that catches on fire and then it, and it damages the, um, uh, that's, those are the only things I know about a car bend, but like, uh, you know, imagine the, whatever the lithium battery, I don't know. I don't know what's under a hood. Okay. It's all, it's all Greek to me, but, um, it's like a chain, it's like a chain reaction of catastrophes if we default on our debt and the, the idea that we should default on our debt. Um, because there's an unconstitutional congressional statute um, backed by a bunch of fundamentalist zealots who do not have the Constitution on their side, and we should just like defer to this rogue Supreme Court majority forever. I, I just I don't buy it, and I, I just I wish we had a president who was willing to go toe to toe, and I just I just don't think that we currently do. Well, okay, so just so uh, everybody understands, uh, 
the underlying uh, point of the riff you just went on is that the Supreme Court would muster up five votes uh, to command uh, Biden to stop doing what he's doing, and then Biden would defy that that ruling. I, I don't know if you could get five votes uh, even from this MAGA court uh, on this particular position, uh, but uh, let's say you did. And this is the thought that popped into my mind when I read your essay. I urge everybody to check it out. It's in this week's Newsweek. It's online on Newsweek. Uh, Just imagine if it was in reverse, if it was Trump defying a Supreme Court ruling. And there could be plenty that he would uh, have to abide by since (laughs) he has so there's so much litigation involving Donald Trump that could end up at the Supreme Court. Uh, And uh, so what would your reaction be if Donald Trump or to do what you're suggesting Joe Biden should do, and that is openly defy a Supreme Court ruling? He doesn't have to. <laughs> the, the point of the, of the conservative majority that they have spent 40 years constructing um, is, that the, is that the Supreme Court of the United States is 99 times out of 100 going to side with whatever, uh, with whatever side of the debate benefits Republican political power. Um, that's, that's why they wanted to capture the court. Um, because they wanted to, they wanted to have a, a sort of a unassailable castle from which to control American politics from afar, um, and and that's what they have. I mean, Donald Trump has not needed to defy the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, I have no doubt that if he that if the if the shoe were on the other foot, he he would do so, right? Um, and I just would encourage us to think about not in terms of like who will defy the Supreme Court and who won't. But like, what is the nature of the Supreme Court's authority? Um, from what sense of legitimacy does it derive? Um, and if the, if the Supreme Court is to continue to play the role that it currently plays in American society, you can't have a 6-3 uh, hard right majority uh, that was put into place by changing the rules for Supreme Court appointments three times in four years, um, where a third of the court was, was put on there by a president who lost the popular vote while collaborating with uh, with our our uh, our adversary to undermine the election, people no longer view those decisions as legitimate. Right? That's the problem with the Supreme Court. The problem is not that the the occasional decision doesn't go your way. Right. The problem is that the institution itself has been corrupted. Um, this is to say nothing of the of the actual financial corruption that has been revealed over the course of the last month. But the institution itself has been corrupted by partisan politics in such a way that that a, a majority of the country no longer trusts it. Um, a majority of the country no longer sees its rulings as um, as issued from a, um, any sort of fair interpretation of the law or the, comp- or the Constitution, but rather as part of a political project to restore, you know, sort of like white male power to its proper place. in in an American society that looks much more like the 19th century than it does like the 21st. Um, And so I I have no doubt that Republicans, if like if a Republican was elected president, there was a six, three democratic majority, just like swatting down law after law, after initiative, after initiative, that they would, they would expand the court. They would ignore the court. They would neuter the court. They would undermine the court at every opportunity. Um, And Joe Biden cannot bring himself to do anything except like issue mild, disapproval of individual Supreme Court decisions. Like he, he, he cannot, he just cannot get himself to get on board with the idea that this majority is, is itself illegitimate. The decisions that it issues are illegitimate. Like we cannot spend the next 15 years 
abiding by the preposterous legal rulings of this court. We just can't do it. Uh, to that list, I would add, threaten the court. Uh, th- what you're describing is already taking place uh, in court after court uh, in, in throughout this country. Whenever any uh, judge or any prosecutor either uh, indicts uh, or rules against Donald Trump, uh, there is a blowback uh, that's ferocious uh, and an utter contempt on the part of Donald Trump's uh, for the holding of the court for which he seconded. Going back to the CNN uh, town hall, uh, one of the points uh, that Donald Trump, one of his like volleys was against E. Jean Carroll and the, the judge in that trial. It, it, a jury had just found that he had sexually assaulted her and defamed her and a $5 million verdict against him. And he just doubled down on every, absolutely everything he said that got the jury to rule against him in the first place, uh, doubled down on everything he'd ever said about the judge, and he was cheered uh, by the audience. So uh, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. That The strategy that Democrats uh, are employing uh, is to uh, turn this into a battle for that sliver of America that's the swing vote. And I'm watching this play out like in, in swing districts like in New York, where you have a Republican uh, who's sitting in a, in a represents a congressional district that w- voted for Biden. So this is, there was a story about this. Um, what's the dude's name? Mike Lawler, the congressman from uh, uh, the Hudson Valley area in, in New York. Uh, Joe Biden came to his district, gave a speech. And they're trying to put pressure on Lawler to break uh, this notion that <laughs> that swing vote will force people like Laura to break uh, from Kevin McCarthy. That's the sort of the political game that Democrats are playing. And your thoughts, uh, do you think that could be, uh, is there any reason to believe that would be successful, even with a so-called moderate like Mike uh, Lawler? I I haven't seen any evidence that it's likely to be a successful strategy. Um, We, we, you know, we talked a few months ago when the the debt ceiling crisis started in, in January, we're already in like month five of this. We talked about the idea of a discharge petition, and that's where a majority of the House can vote to to put a measure on the floor over the you know over the head of the Speaker of the House. Um, and I, I had some hope that we would find five or six Republicans willing to sign on to that project, and we haven't seen that yet. Right? Like, um, and I get the sense that even the most moderate members of the Republican Caucus are willing to risk global calamity if they can get cuts to uh to social security or medicare or whatever it is they're asking for um it seems to me like that 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 project of starving the american state is just as important to republican moderates as it is to the to the extremists in the freedom caucus or it is just as, as important as it is to to mccarthy himself um and so i i don't see it happening right now um i think that those republican moderates would pay for that with their seats um, in the next primary. I think they know that. And so you have to find five or six people in the Republican Party of the United States of America who, who have the, the courage to sacrifice their political careers on the altar of, uh, of our shared prosperity. And um, you're coming up empty so far. Um, they're really coming up empty. And um, yeah, it's hard to know how this thing ends without the Biden administration playing some hardball. And instead, they're just painstakingly negotiating with them. 
um, as if they have to negotiate about this at all, which is very disappointing. Uh, the other, my advice, of course, uh, to the Biden administration, which I'm sure they won't follow, uh, they are liberals, and and this is a topic that I dealt with in, on an earlier show. Uh, liberals uh, routinely break their promises. Uh, pretty much every liberal candidate I've ever seen run for mayor of the city of Chicago uh, said one thing to the uh, people of Chicago uh, and then got in office and did the exact opposite. So my advice to Joe Biden is to make an agreement with Kevin McCarthy and then just break the promise once you get the votes. What are they going to do, sue you for breaking your promise? Uh, so you're, you're f- feel free, uh, Joe Biden, uh, to p- play like Lori Lightfoot and say whatever it is that your audience wants to hear, agree to it, and then just don't do it. Well, I can't say it worked well for Lori Lightfoot, but uh, <laughs> she did get elected in 2019. All right, uh, let's close with uh, George Santos. Uh, we've talked so much about him on this show, uh, the congressman uh, from New York. Uh, once again, thank you uh, for your utter incompetence, New York Democrats. You managed to screw that one up. Uh, David and I have discussed that at length. No no need to redo that one. I ch- urge everybody to check back some uh, from old conversations we've had down to the years where we talked about the New York Democrats and uh, how bad they are at playing the game of politics. Uh, George Santos was indicted on various fraud charges. It gets to the whole concept of lying. So George Santos is one of the most preposterous liars uh, that I've seen in my life. And he's so young. So much promise. I mean, it's like watching a 19-year-old LeBron James uh, just emerging. Like, oh, my God, the future for this guy in lying is there's no ceiling. Uh, uh, So it seems to have caught up with him. Contrast that with the lying of Donald Trump. I can make a compelling case that Donald Trump lies as much as George Santos does. But it seems to work for Donald Trump. He tells lies in such a way, David, that people seem to want to hear the lies. George Santos lies, and it doesn't seem to win over any support. I guess people think he's weird. I guess there's a difference between a weird liar and a strategic liar. Help me understand the difference between Donald Trump liar and George Santos liar. I don't think there's really that much of a difference. You know, I mean, I I think if, if George Santos ran for the Republican nomination for president and then won it, his lies wouldn't matter either, right? People just be like, well, my 401k is going up. You know, I don't care if he defrauded the federal government with coronavirus relief funds. Um, he's, he's my guy, you know, he's my fraudster. He's in my corner, you know? Um, tell you, my car dealership is doing numbers since this guy got elected. So um, it's really, it's a, it's a different flavor of the same genre. Um, I think what distinguishes Santos from Trump right now is that there is, there's no, there's no broader political or ideological project behind the Santos lies. It's all just a series of personal grifts, right? And don't get me wrong. Donald Trump has personal grifts like, uh, enough to, to, you know, build a path from here to the moon. Um, like, like a, like a lifetime of broken promises and bankruptcies and, and fraud. (sighs) But he also represents something else to the people that are voting for him and, and supporting him. Right. He's the make America great guy. Right? Like he's the one that gave a voice to those poor, voiceless white American men. Um, who, you know, he's the one that gave a voice to the, to the Nazis and the neo Nazis, um, and to the fascists and the proud boys. Um, and George Santos is just some, you know, two bit huckster from Queens, 
Um, and there's, there's no broader significance to his career or his life or anything that he's doing other than that, uh, he was somehow able to keep this stuff under wraps from reporters and to, uh, our friends, the New York Democrats. <laughs> God, Jesus. How did you guys not find any of this stuff? Seriously. Do you have an Oppo research team? Yes or no? Um, he was able to keep this stuff from the public long enough to get elected. And now there's no mechanism to force him to resign. Um, and so he's going out there knowing full well that he's got, you know, 18 months to live politically at most, even if he beats all of these, I think, pretty unassailable charges that he's facing. <laughs> I mean, he, he took campaign funds, spent them on designer clothes. Um, he put in fake PPP applications, right? So he took COVID relief funds. Um, saying that he was unemployed when he was employed the whole time, making 120 grand as a working for an investment firm. A uh, second, well, like, what is the name of this investment firm? Can you get the CEO on the line? Like, do you know, you know, do you trust? Unbelievable. Just the whole thing is just unbelievable. Um, and he goes out there and he's like, this is a witch hunt. And it's like, my man, no one cares about you fundamentally, right? Like, there's other, like, why aren't they the witch hunt? hoaxing the other New York Republicans in Biden's seats. Why isn't anybody going after them? Uh, the answer is because they're not criminals, right? Like, you're a criminal. You're a fabulous. You made all this stuff up. Um, this, the, the show will be called Inventing George or whatever. Whatever uh, Hulu miniseries that we get out of this, I'm sure it's already in development. But, um, yeah, just uh, the, the thing about it that's, that is still shocking to me even though I feel like we should be beyond shock from these Republicans is that McCarthy still won't call on him to resign. You know, like Republicans still will not make a move against this guy. Uh, his seat is not the pivotal seat in their majority, right? They don't need him. Um, they're gonna, probably going to lose that seat in 2024, no matter what they do. And so here you have a situation where there's, there's, you have nothing to lose to do the right thing. And that's what I find sometimes most appalling about today's Republicans is that they won't even do the right thing um, when when they have there's no possible penalty that they could pay um, that would be meaningful to them, right? Like, um, if if this was a, a, a senator in a, in a purple state, you know, if this was, uh, what's the ding-dong in Wisconsin? If this was Ron Johnson, you know, defrauding the federal, you know, the federal government over COVID relief funds, uh, and you know you need that seat, for you know to have a chance in the majority i i understand on a raw political level why you don't want to do that here you have a case where it's like this is not a particularly important seat you're unlikely to hold it because of the scandal itself um and also because new york democrats like under underperformed so wildly that just like regression to the mean means that santos will probably lose even an unsullied unscandaled santos would probably lose this election um and they stick like mccarthy still cannot bring himself to just get in front of the cameras and be like you know, folks, uh, it happens, you know, bad people get into, get into office and, uh, I'm, I'm calling on George Santos to resign. Um, these are, uh, you know, these are appalling charges. This is disgraceful behavior. Um, and we hope to regain the trust of the American people in this district. And they can't, they just can't bring themselves to do it. And I mean, he's just like, this is a witch hunt. This is a hoax. And McCarthy's like, well, let's just wait and see. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let a jury well, decide. I'll, 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 uh, I'll just remind you, there was a point where McCartney, uh, McCartney, I turned him into a beetle. McCarthy uh, desperately needed uh, George Santos' vote. That You remember to get to be speaker? It, he didn't have the votes lined up. Now I understand 
up. Presumably, he still has the votes lined up. We'll never know. Uh, so I suppose in the back of his mind, he thinks uh, George Santos' support for his speakership is there uh, regardless of what, um, I don't know, uh, any other lunatic gates of uh, Florida uh, does. So I'm sticking. Marjorie Taylor Greene could suddenly <laughs> drop me. But I can, I'll always have George Santos. So I'm with you, George. Uh, you know, when I, when anyway. I think about the, what's happening in the house right now, um, you know, just the debt ceiling stuff and just the never ending stalemate and, and ugliness. It makes me so wistful for the days when we could just talk about what tiny piece of progress we could sneak past Joe Manchin. You know, like <laughs> those were the good old days, you know? Yeah, Joe Manchin. What can we get done that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema will sign off on? Because, like, we can't even do that right now. We're just negotiating with these maniacs for the next year and a half. Oh, my God. The absurdity and insanity of politics on so many levels goes on. Uh, And at some level, you have to laugh because otherwise you will just cry. Just the spectacle, I'll close where we began, of Donald Trump uh, using CNN and CNN thinking as though there was going to be something legit about this. Uh, And Caitlin Collins desperately trying uh, to get Donald Trump to admit that these things he was spouting were lies. You know, (laughs) he's like, do you actually think that's how he operates? Do you think that's how he got this far? Did you not watch again his debate with Biden? And by the way, if he's a nominee, there's no way we can avoid one more time. There will be another debate. <laughs> Biden versus Trump, David. Just think about it. There will be another debate. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, the Republican Party has pulled out of the Commission on Presidential Debates. So, um, Either that commission has to cave to whatever ridiculous, like, we will only debate in front of an audience of, uh, you know, young CPAC people on their way out of the conference. Like, we will only do it if the debate is held at the auditorium of the NRA headquarters. You know, um, unless they cave to that, they've said they're not going to do it. So I don't know. I don't know if there will be a debate. But I got to be honest with you, if Biden's the nominee, I don't know that I want debates. I really don't. <laughs> no, I... I- I'm not saying I want debates. I mean, that other, (laughs) I'm just saying, I think the reality, I think that Donald Trump, uh, this is how, this is my prediction. Donald Trump thinks that this format works for him. Okay. So ultimately, no matter what the Republicans say now, I believe they will be unable to convince Donald Trump to turn down a format like a debate. Uh, And, uh, Joe Biden plays by this notion that to win over those swing voters in Wisconsin, I got to show them it's a legitimate election, so I'm going to have a debate. That is how Republicans play the game. That's how Democrats... And Donald Trump will not play by any of the rules he agrees to. He will do on that presidential debate what he did at that town hall, just out-talk Joe Biden, who will be even a little more out of it in 2024 than he is today, David. And I, if there's any sports alternative, I will be watching it that night because it's hard enough to live through. But to witness it, I'm sorry. There's only so much I can take. Biden, Trump, which of these babbling old corpses will win the right to slur their way through the next four years in front of all of us? 
Can't wait. Uh, and that 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 is a a good as place as uh, any to close uh, our mini debate. David Ferris, Roosevelt University political science professor. Thank you very much. And I'll talk to you real soon. All right. Great to be here, Ben. Thanks a lot. All right. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Take care.